Our scripture reading is found in 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2. We are going to read verses 1 through 15. Second Kings 2 verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when the Lord was about to take up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were in Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan, to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. As they, were, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elisha took his cloak and wrote it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I'll do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses and fire separate, separated the two of them. And Elijah went by a wearing into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold. He took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had been fallen from him 
and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went on. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And then, and they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord our God, thank you so much for bringing us into your presence once again. Thank you for we can have this word, a word from heaven, that your spirit has breathed. Oh Lord, may your spirit be the one speaking to us tonight, showing us the God of Elijah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a well-known passage when we see God in a very extraordinary way, supernatural way, taking Elijah, a great prophet, to heaven. And as we look at the life of Elijah, all the miracles that he performed, calling fire from heaven, as we look at this text and we see him rolling his cloak and hitting the water and parting the waters, miracles, clothes. We might look at it as someone looking at a Harry Potter story full of magic and clothes, etc. But as we learn from chapter 2 of Second Kings, God is behind the miracles. This is not magic. This is God's power. It is the power that he uses to advance his cause, his kingdom. It is the power that he uses to build up his church. The miracles serve this purpose. They are not there to promote the person of Elijah. They are there to show that his God is the true God. Elijah's time on earth has come to an end. But has the ministry that he represented come to an end? It has not. As Elijah finishes his work, God provides someone to replace him. He has always provided. It is God that always provided ministers under shepherds to lead his church. It is God himself, and he takes ordinary man. Elijah, make no mistake, he was an ordinary man. James says he was a man like we are. Nevertheless, God made him a spiritual giant, so needed in time, times of great faithlessness, times of great opposition to the gospel. You may look at our own day and perhaps you wonder, don't we need another Elijah? 
in such times of faithlessness. Now it is time for him, for this great hero of faith, to depart, to leave. And he's going to pass on the mantle. He's going to pass on the leadership that get the, to, to the appointed successor. God has appointed a successor. Elisha is his successor. And as we go through this narrative, I pray that we'll be able to learn a few lessons on how, on how God faithfully sustains ministry in times when there is great attempt to suffocate it. So, we, our title will be Passing the Mental. Elijah is passing the mental, the symbol of authority, of leadership, of ministry. He's passing it to his disciple, Elisha. And we are going to uh, have this message in three thoughts. First, an ascending master. Second, God's appointed successor. And third, a remaining power. First, an ascending master. Though Elijah is a spiritual giant, his role in God's kingdom was never meant to be permanent. No matter how great is the minister, his time, he's not meant to be around forever. If you think of Paul, a great minister of God's church, he was a man who planted many churches. Imagine a gap that this man leaves behind him. But he was not meant to be there forever. Ministers may move eventually to another church. And ultimately, after they have fought the good fight, God will call them home. But if Elijah, if on one hand, the, the ascension of Elijah reminds us that all minister. All ministry, particular ministry, is temporary. On the other hand, his ascension reassures us of the hope of heaven. Heaven is a real place for real people like Elijah, like you, and like me. God is calling Elijah to his presence. And what was true for Elijah is true for every child of God. After we have completed our time on earth, God will call us to his presence. Elisha was a man that loved the Lord. He had great zeal for the Lord, for the law of God. And he faced much difficulties to the world's standards. Elijah was not a successful, happy man. He had no house. He was persecuted. Yet he had a burning zeal for the Lord. He could not be indifferent to idolatry. As Paul, he longed to be with the Lord, which is much better. In a way, the world is right. This life will always be the worst life that believers will have. On the other hand, 
This is the better life, the best life the, that unbelievers can ever, ever have. It is God's desire that His people will be with Him in, in His high priestly prayer. John 17, Jesus says to the Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. God desires His people to be in His presence in heaven. Though Elijah has departed in a very special way, we believe that he did not die, he was translated. His destiny is the same as the destiny of every believer. That is common to every child of God. Paul says that to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. Elijah was known as a man of God, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. The Lord granted him great authority. Think of how many miracles he performed. The resurrection of the widow's son in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 17. He had boldness to, to proclaim God's word faithfully even when he was threatened. He was a man of earnest prayer. He would shut the heavens with his prayers. He would, he would stand against 400 prophets of Baal. He was a great figure, figure in the Old Testament. I mean, God was with this man. God was with him. When he departs, Elisha says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And the chariots and the horsemen represented defenses. Elijah himself represented the defenses of Israel. Because God used him and God answered his prayer. But imagine if a man like this, if a man like this is called by God. What about God's ministry? What about the ministry that Elijah represented? Has it come to an end? And we know that the answer is no, because God provides successors. Ministry is God's business. God provides man for ministry. And this leads us to our second point, God's appointed successor. God provides men for ministry. We can be sure that faithful ministry will go on because ministry is God's business. Well, but here in this, in this passage, God, again, will show that He provides ministry, uh, uh, successors for His ministers. In 1 Kings 19, God commands Elijah to anoint Elisha as his successor. So we know from the beginning that God has already a successor for Elijah. Now, when the time of transition comes, Elijah is going to pass the mantle, the symbol of authority, the symbol of ministry to his 
student, Elisha. And God will never leave his church, his people, without shepherds. Ministry is never at risk. When we, we have times, we look back in history and we have men like Jonathan Edwards. We have George Whitfield. Don't we need those men again? We might wonder. We honor those men. Elisha honored Elijah. He said, my father, my father. We recently in the PCA, we, we lost two men. One is not very familiar to me. Uh, the other one is Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a pastor in Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He wrote many books. He was involved in much ministry. He trained seminary students. He mentored church planters. He was a great influence in the church. When we lose men like that, we may wonder, when God calls them to Emmanuel's land, we may wonder what is going to be of the ministry they represented. Well, we learn from our text that times of transition do not need to be times of insecurity. Do not need to be times of discouragement to wonder about the future of ministry because ministry is God's business. The time, the same thing that is true for those ministers, well-known ministers, is true for a local pastor, a faithful pastor. When they are gone, is that church left without care? They are not left without care because God is the one that cares for His church. And God is the one that prepares man for ministry. We also see this in our text. Just as He provides men for ministry, He's the one who trains them. He trains them. He tasks them. He matures them. If you notice in our text, Elijah goes to different places. And as he goes to different places, three times, he looks at his student and he says, stay. Stay behind. I want to move on alone. Well, what does that mean? Elijah knows from the beginning that Elisha is going to be his successor. Why is he trying to do that? Why is he asking for his student to be left behind? Well, if you remember, when Elijah first called Elisha to be his disciple, Elisha asked for permission to say farewell to his family. He said, yes, I will follow you, but I want to say goodbye to my family first. And you might wonder, at that time, did he understood fully what that ministry meant? And perhaps he did not. And perhaps what's going on here is a test. 
Perhaps God is maturing him in that moment. And now that he has had some time with his master, now that he knows what ministry involves, now that he knows the cost, is he still interested to take up this task, this responsibility? Possibly, that is what is going on here. For three times, Elijah tries to shake off his successor. And for the three times, Elijah responds to him, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He's finally resolved. He's resolved here. Well, if you remember in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, Jesus tells his followers that before they come to him as disciples, they must count the cost. They must know that being Jesus' disciple has a cost. Interesting. There, in that situation, a man offers to Jesus to become his disciple. And he says, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those of my home. It reminds of the words of Elisha. Jesus says to him, No one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, when Elisha was first called by Elijah, he was plowing. So, what we have to learn here is that to be Jesus' disciple requires that Jesus is priority in our lives. He comes first. He comes before family. So one is not ready to be Jesus' disciple unless Jesus comes first in his life. One can, cannot be double-minded. One cannot try to, to serve the Lord and still has his heart for something else. Be disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ requires unhindered, unhindered commitment. Jesus was teaching that no one that has a divided heart, no one that he is double-minded, is ready to be his disciple. And perhaps now Elisha finally understood that. Perhaps now he understood. And that understanding happened during this journey that he had with Elisha. With Elijah. And I think it teaches us something very important about discipleship. Discipleship has something very important to say about the way God's kingdom advances. The way that the churches grow. The Lord Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Disciples are called to make disciples. Christians who are more seasoned in the Christian life, who are more spiritually mature, they have the responsibility to teach those who are less 
mature in the church. This is the way the church grows. The younger people in the church, they must look at those examples of mature Christians, of people who are zealous of the Lord, and they must learn from them. That is the way that there is maturity in the church. That is the way that the church grows. That is the way that the church functions. This is also the way that parents teach their children to love the Lord. They teach them to trust, to put their trust in Jesus alone. That is the way that they teach the next generation. The older teaching the younger. And this is certainly the scriptural way for training in ministry as well. Those men walked together. It took a chariot of fire to separate them. They were very united. So, ministry, the way that ministry happens, grows, training in ministry is modeled here in this text. It is seasoned pastor, training prospective ministers. And this ties training for ministry to a church. You know, seminaries have an important role in teaching ministers. But the church has a fundamental role in it. It is not an option, right? It is the way, the scriptural way, that discipleship happens. And I think this is one of the things that I value in this internship. Seasoned pastors teach us how to walk, how to do ministry. We are involved in different situations. We see their love for their sheep. We see the, the real difficulties of people. As we get involved, we, we notice, we, we know people. We know their ways, we know their struggle, and we can sympathize. And we can sympathize with that. Also, we see that ministry is not necessarily very easy. So, I believe that this text also teaches us about the importance, the involvement that the church has to have in training ministers. And I praise God for this church and because this church has this vision. And I pray that this church keeps having this vision, knowing the importance, the responsibility of the church in training ministers for the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this text also poses a very specific challenge to the churches, challenges that the church faces every day. Times for shifting leadership, because this is what is happening here. There is a shift in leadership. So, times, in times of that, what if the successor does not have the same charisma? What if he does not have the same character, strong character, strong personality? 
as his predecessor, can the ministry still be effective? And the answer is yes, because the power is not in the man. It is in the God of the man. And this leads us to our third and final point, a remaining power. Shifting in leadership does not risk the efficacy of ministry if it is a ministry equipped by the same Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the final task of Elijah to his student is a question. Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And this answer, this, the answer has the potential to show the deepest longing of the one who is asking, who is responding that question. Right? Ask what, what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Solomon, God asked Solomon that question. He had a good answer. He asked for wisdom. Elijah says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Is that an arrogant question? Is that coming from self-seeking, ambition? And if we want to understand that, we must try to find out what the expression meant in those times to those people, to Elijah and Elisha. A double portion was the eldest son share according to the law in Deuteronomy 21. The eldest son was expected to carry out his father's projects, to carry out his business. So Elijah is asking that he will be Elijah's successor. And he's asking for the same spirit that he has to fulfill that task. This is what he, he's asking for. This is what he's asking for. He's mourning his master. He says, my father, my father. But the thing that he asks for from him is the spirit. I want to have the same spirit that equipped you to be bold in preaching the true word of God. I want to have the same spirit that gave you the courage to face any opposition, to face 400 false prophets. I want the spirit that enabled you to endure, that is not a thing that a, that a person can do in his own. You know, to endure persecution, we do not naturally do that. We need God's Spirit. We need God's Spirit to embolden us to do that. And perhaps this is not always the number one option on our prayer. It's not necessarily on the top of our list, right? To ask for the Holy Spirit. And this is what Elisha is asking for. And this is exactly 
the prayer that God delights to respond. This is the prayer that he likes to respond. Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit for those who ask Him? This is a prayer that God has, has promised to answer. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. For those who are interested in being His witness, His faithful, faithful witness, God has promised that. What the successor of a minister needs to have is not necessarily the same character, not necessarily the same skills. What he needs to have is the same empowering spirit, the same empowering spirit, the Holy Spirit. He was the one who empowered Elijah. He was the one who empowered him. If Elisha has the same spirit, he knows he can carry on the same ministry. When great leaders die, or when they leave the church, it is time for mourning. Elisha mourned. But it's not time for discouragement. Because the same spirit remains in a church. The same spirit remains in a church. Elijah has departed. His God has not. His God has not. When Elijah picks up the mantle of Elijah, a symbol of ministry, he asks, Where is the Lord? The God of Elijah. Where is the Lord? The God of Elijah. He was there with him. And he is with his church today. Even now, God is always active, often in a way that is unseen to us, unseen to the physical eyes. In this text, we see something of this unseen world where there is great power and, and no death. We should be encouraged by this so that we will know that the church is God's business. Because of this, the church mission cannot, cannot fail. They can experience great crisis as it did in the times of Elijah, but it cannot fail. It cannot fail. The God of Elijah, the God of power, will sustain his church until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes God gives to the church spiritual giants. It happens in times of great decay, such as in the times of Elijah. He has raised Moses, the great prophet. He has raised Elijah, 
These men are key figures in the Old Testament. They are the ones who are going to appear in the New Testament with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. But after a short while, they disappear. We are left with one who is greater than Moses. We are left with one who is greater than Elijah. The one who has power. The one who has come from this unseen world. The one who carries the power of salvation. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Our Lord. He comes with power to give life. Theologians discuss whether or not Elijah died. I believe the text says that he didn't, didn't die. The Lord took him and he was seen no more. But whether they wrestle with this question or not, they cannot deny, they cannot deny that Jesus, on the cross of Jesus Christ, he has saved us in such a way, in such a powerful way, he has guaranteed our salvation in such a way that death for Christians is not even necessary anymore. For Christians, death is a servant that opens the door for us to go to heaven. Not, a, not all Christians will die. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 55, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The hope of the Christians of the Old Testament is the same as the hope of the Christians of the New Testament. It is Christ, the power of God, and the glory of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we ask, where is the God of Elijah? Where God, will you again fill us with your spirit? Will you fix our eyes in Jesus, the one who has the spirit without measure? You will strengthen your church, strengthen your people. We pray in Jesus. Amen.